tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk crossovers. Let's talk downs. Let's talk hoops. Let's talk rumors. Let's talk opinions. Let's talk truth. Let's talk future. Let's talk present. Let's talk past. Fundamentals and flash. Me running the flow. Stanko running the show like a young Steve Nash. I'd like to welcome all of you to the Great Point Podcast. This is the Great Point Podcast. I'm Adam Stanko. Thrilled about the guests that I'm about to introduce you to. One of the best college basketball broadcasters in the country. Does studio work, calls games. Lamar Hurd is, is the name. And I don't even want to qualify that with the best young broadcasters in the country. He is one of the best. For anyone that's heard him, you, you can understand why. Just uh, a ridiculously charming guy. He uh, is a college basketball analyst for the Pac-12 Network, a former star at Oregon State. He started at point guard from 2002 to 2006, was an all-Pac-10 performer, team MVP, then played professionally in Europe, and he's the founder and current president of the other side of basketball. Lamar Hurd, I am thrilled to have you on the Great Point Podcast, so welcome, my friend. Hey, thank you, Adam. I'm equally as thrilled. I know there's been some big names already on this podcast, um, so I am appreciative of, of the invite to join. Well, you know, when they run down the list of the most influential people in basketball all time and they start saying <laughs> Don McClain and Rex Chapman and Sonny Vaccaro, Lamar Hurd is, is not too far away from that <laughs> list. I want to start from the beginning, Lamar. Your earliest basketball memory. Earliest basketball memory was receiving a Jordan Jammer as a Christmas gift when I was in the first or second grade. A Jordan Jammer was the equivalent of like a Fisher-Price little basket mini hoop type thing. My godparents bought it for me, and I played with it the entire day. Uh, They couldn't get me pulled away from it. We were having Christmas (laughs) dinner that night. I was busy playing with a Jordan Jammer, and it just became my obsession. And, uh, you know, that was the start of it. And, you know, basketball kind of has, has dictated, you know, the rest of my life since that point in time. But that that's really my first memory of, of falling in love with the game. It's kind of ironic that it was the Jordan Jammer and you turned out to be one of the great dunkers in, in America. I don't think people realize that. And we'll, we'll get to that shortly. But mm-hmm. as you then start to come up the ranks as a, as a youngster playing, um, you turned out to be an outstanding high school player. Take me from the time that you started on that Jordan Jammer to reaching high school and the evolution of you as, as a player during, during your youth. Well, I grew up in Missouri City, Texas, which is a suburb in, in Houston, southwest Houston, around the Sugarland area. And so after being born in the city, we moved to Missouri City. And then um, 
I, I was in elementary school and I had an older brother who was struggling at the the public high schools there in town. Um, nothing criminal or anything of that nature, just needed to be somewhere where he could focus a little bit more on his academics and, and just make sure his priorities were, were kept straight. So what my mom did is she sent him to go to this school in a town called Cleveland, Texas, which is about 40 minutes or so north of Houston. She sent him to go live with this guy named Jerome Tang, who was our youth pastor at our church in Houston as we were growing up. So that, that's where the connection came in. That's how my, my mom knew him. But she sent him to go to this school called Heritage Christian Academy in a town called Cleveland, Texas. During the week, he would stay with Coach Tang there. And then on weekends, he would come home. Um, during this time, I'm in the fifth grade. And so when my brother would come home, he would tell me these stories about how they were playing basketball nonstop at this school because it's a small school, um, K through 12, 130 kids or so, you know, about as small as you can get. But Coach Tang, he had the key to the gym as the basketball coach and the athletic director. And so they would, you know, go to classes during the day. And as soon as classes are out, they're in the gym playing. They would leave the gym playing and go to some restaurant, eat some food or go home, do some homework. Next thing you know, they're back in the gym at 9, 10 o'clock at night. And so my brother would come home on weekends and tell me this stuff. And as he's telling me, this is sounding like the best thing in the world you know, for, for two main reasons. One, as I just explained, I became obsessed with the game from the time I had my Jordan Jammer in the first grade. And so here my brother is telling me about this nonstop basketball experience. Um, that, that alone for me made me just want to go to the school. In addition to that, kids didn't have access to gyms you know, back then like they do now. Nowadays, you go to 24-Hour Fitness, LA Fitness, um, you know, all the, these types of gyms that elementary age kids can go to and just go play basketball or community centers, whatever it is. Um, we just didn't have that kind of access when I was uh, that age. So um, for those two reasons alone, I, I immediately wanted to go to the school. And I, I started asking my mom, can I go to the school? Of course, being 10 years old at the time, my mom shot my, shot my request down every single time, uh, but I never let up. I spent the entire year kind of pleading with her to let me go and just to give me a chance. You know, l let me prove to you that it would be a worthwhile decision. And ultimately, she let me go to the school. My sixth grade year was my first year there. So as a sixth grader, I was living out of my mom's house. I was staying with Coach Tang and my older brother uh, at Coach Tang's apartment in Cleveland, Texas going to Heritage Christian Academy and loving every second of it because it was exactly what my brother told me it was. Um, you go to school, you handle your <laughs> academics, but we play a lot of basketball. And it got to the point where midway through the year, I stopped wanting to go home on weekends. And so I would just stay in Cleveland, Texas the whole time. And so I would go 14, sometimes 21 days or whatever it was without seeing my mom because I wouldn't go home on the weekends. So my mom saw really quickly exactly how important basketball truly was to me. And she ended up moving um, up to Cleveland the following year. And uh, we spent the next six years there, however long it was, until I graduated. And it was a journey, man. It, it was the greatest journey of my life, both individually, as just as a person, and athletically. We, we turned the school into a powerhouse, not only in the state of Texas, but by the time I graduated, we were a top 25 program. Uh, we had about seven guys go D1 from the roster I played on. Um, some of them were the seniors. Some of them were juniors we left behind. We had a McDonald's All-American come along and, and Vaughn uh, Wafer, 
who ended up going to Florida State. And so it just turned into this thing that nobody would have seen it turning into, you know, if you ask them 10 years or so prior to the time when it became what it became. So uh, it was a cool experience, but more than anything, and I told you this before, Adam, um, the biggest thing I take away from it is, is all the life lessons my coach was able to teach me. Um, he was a man of integrity. Uh, I saw him in every instance, how he handled himself, uh, from how he coached kids to how he dated his then girlfriend who became his fiance when I was in high school, who's now his wife of, I think they're going on close to 16, 17 years. Um, so I, I just learned a lot from him and, uh, it was just a great experience, man. So Lamar, you have this amazing turnaround with, with your high school program and you and I have joked in the past about the the fact that you were witness to a very special night in high school basketball. <laughs> First, I'll let you tell your part of it. Um, 100-point game from your teammate, Cedric Hensley. Yeah, man. Uh, so in, in our district, um, we were a lot better than the competition. And so we would win games by... 20 points. It, you know what it was like, Adam? It was like the UConn women. Like when we played people in our district, it was like that. Like you knew you were going to lose. You knew it was going to be a blowout. The question was just how bad will the blowout be? And so, and, and that's why <laughs> at, as a senior, um, um, my, my coach made the decision to go independent so that we weren't playing that kind of schedule. And then we started playing a national schedule. But here we are in my junior season and we, we have to play teams within uh, our district, and uh, we're playing the school out of out of Houston. I forgot the name of them, but the game starts off, and and Cedric Hensley, who was a tremendous athlete. I mean, he's one of the best athletes you've never heard of before. He's the guy that was being recruited by the Arizona Wildcats back then by the University of Texas. Um, he he chose to go to the University of Houston, and it wasn't one of those kind of things where. That was the best he could get. He made that decision because he's more of a homebody, didn't want to be away from home, hasn't really been away from home um, even since then, and we're, we're 32 years old. Um, so really talented guy. He starts off the game, and at the end of the first quarter, he had like around 20, 25 points. And so I remember we, we went back to the huddle uh, during, the, during the break, and, and we're kind of thinking, wait a minute, he's got 25 in the first quarter. I mean, he's he's kind of on pace here to do some special stuff. And so at that point, you know, I just kind of took the reins on it and said, hey, Seb, let's, let's try to go out and get you to 100, man. And he was all good with it. So 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 we go out in the second quarter, and I think he had he had like a 30-point a, a quarter now. And so going into halftime, he was above the 50-point mark. And, you know, we just kept riding it out until the end of the game, and he ended up with a – 100 points um but one thing to note of that game it's not like he was just getting all layups like he got him tons of layups and he got a lot of dunks but he he shot threes too and he, he shot some 17 foot there was actually times when he would pull up on a break and I, I would get mad at him and say you know we're trying to get to 100 this ain't time to be trying to explore your game and shoot mid-range shots go get the easy bucket but uh he ended up getting there man it was a it was a really fun night and um you know that game kind of put our school on the map that year because it became national news. A guy like you up in Philadelphia heard about it. You know, the, the big radio shows, Jim Rome called in the following day, interviewed my coach and 
Um, it was just all over the place. So that, that kind of really did propel us to that national spotlight heading into that following year where we became a top 25 team in the country. Yeah, and my end of it, um, for people listening, that was crazy was, you know, I'm working for this high school sports show in, in Philly, and Dewan Wagner scores 100 points um, that same yeah, night. And, same night. And I had heard about the Dewan Wagner thing. Someone called and said, hey, Dewan Wagner had 100 points. So I said, you know, okay, great. And then I get a call from a producer that was down in Houston and says, hey, I just want to let you guys know there was a 100-point game tonight in high school basketball. And I go, yeah, yeah, I, I know about it. And he goes, you heard about the story here down in Houston? And I go, well, Houston, what are you talking about? Dewan Wagner in, in yeah, Camden High School, you know, the All-American. And they go, no, no, Cedric yeah. Hensley uh, had it for Heritage Christian. So, Lamar, tail end of your, of your high school career starts coming, and, and you start to get pretty heavily recruited. Like I said before, you're an outstanding dunker, but you're a guy that could distribute the basketball, handle it. You had good size. So uh, tell me about the recruitment process then for you. Who was calling you and, um, and, yeah. and, and take me through all that. Well, not only am I going to drop some uh, information on our listening audience, Adam, but I'm going to drop some, some information on you. I don't even know if I've talked to you in depth about this whole process before. Um, going back to the start of our conversation here, you know, I was obsessed with basketball from the time I was in the first grade and mm -hmm. I began to establish goals for myself. I wanted to get a D one scholarship. Um, you know, one of the things that I started doing when I moved to Cleveland, Texas and going to Heritage Christian was watching college basketball games. Like I remember the big Mondays, uh, games on ESPN, the super Tuesdays, all that stuff. You know, we would watch mm -hmm. that like every week when I was in a sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And so, you know, I, I began to have this dream of, of playing on TV in one of the quote-unquote Power Five conferences. Um, going into my junior year, I didn't have any scholarship offers. So, I mean, I was a good player. We were playing on a good team, um, you know, having success. We were, you know, blowing people out, winning our state titles, all of that stuff. But – I didn't really have anybody extending an offer to me. And um, I, I played AAU on one of the best AAU teams in the country with the Houston Hoops. Uh, Kendrick Perkins was my center. Indy Eby, who committed to Arizona but ended up going straight to the NBA, mm -hmm. getting drafted by Minnesota. Um, he was our, our power forward kid on the, ring, on the wing named Michael Rose one of the best shooters to ever come through Houston, Cedric Hensley, who we just talked about. Like, we had a really, really good team. And I performed well at times, but it just – I was a little guy. I was, I was 6'1". It was before I hit the growth spurt. Um, and, and here's the thing, Adam, that I think is going to be news to you, and I'm sure it's going to be news to all of our viewers. I was viewed as a guy that could just catch and shoot the basketball. Did you have <laughs> ever thought you would have heard me say that before? No, sir. No, sir. Okay, so, 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 so get this, so get this, so get this. So when I'm in high school, I'm this skinny little kid that just shoots the ball. Like, me and my coach, Coach Tang, we would, we would make these kind of bets during games. We're going to the fourth quarter, you know, we're winning by a lot. He'll say, okay, if you can make seven threes in this quarter, you know, dinner's on me later or whatever. And, and I would do it. I would, time wow. after time, I would do it. And and that was my thing. Now, here's where stuff got, got good for me, and here's where stuff got, got bad. So the summer after my junior year, I realized, okay, this is basically my last summer to, to, to get on the national scene for somebody to extend an offer to me. 
Um, I, mm-hmm. I have to put in work, but but I don't really know what kind of work I need to put in because our school had never had a, a real D1 athlete before. We had one guy, literally one guy, um, who had gone D1. He went to Oral Roberts in Oklahoma. He he went there, um, I want to say, five years or six years prior to um, when when it was my time and I was becoming a senior. Actually, we had two guys. We had another guy go to Texas Southern University. But those two schools, as you know, you know, don't hold water to the power of five conference schools. Mm-hmm. And and so we didn't have we, we didn't know what it took to get to that level. Rodney Terry, who is now the coach of Fresno State, was an assistant coach at Texas. He comes into our gym. He's looking at a few of our guys. He's looking at Cedric Kinsley, who everybody in the South was looking at. And we had another guy named Tim Mays. Rodney Terry comes into the gym. He watches our team go through an entire practice. Like, I had a pretty good practice. I I did really well. I shot the ball well, which is all I could do. I wasn't super quick, couldn't really beat people off the dribble. I wasn't athletic yet, and I'm going to get into that here in a second. And so it's not like I was Mm -hmm. high-flying and dunking or doing anything like that. Um, I I just managed the game, the flow of the game, and I shot the ball well. After the practice is over, my coach, Coach Chang, goes to Rodney Terry, and he, you know, is asking for a review on our guys. Rodney tells him, hey, we really like Cedric. We're interested in him. Um, the kid, Tim Mays, who ended up signing with UNC Wilmington um, and then ended up switching from there to go to Richmond with Jerry Rainwhite. They liked him. And then Coach Chang asked, well, what do you think about Lamar? And he said, you know, he's, uh, he's really skilled, shoots it well, but he's not athletic enough to play the game at our level. <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> I, I kid you not, I kid you not. And so coach Tang tells me this, you know, later on that day after the practice was over and I saw like my, like literally I saw my life flash before my eyes because what I saw was I basically have a matter of months to become athletic enough to play the game at a level I've always dreamed of playing or else I'm just not going to play at that level. Like it became that simple to me. And when I'm in those kind of situations where it's clear to me what I need to do to get from point A to point B, whatever it is, then I go and I do it and and I attack it with vengeance. So I spent the next six months dedicating my life to becoming more athletic. There was, there was a jumping program that I saw on slam magazine. It's called air alert. And I told mm-hmm. Coach Chang, I said, order air alert for us. We're all, we're, I'm going to do air alert. I'm going to put the whole team on air alert. Um, during that time, Ray Young, who was going to UCLA, um, yep. he, 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 he had written in an article. That he was doing the diary and slam. And I saw where he said that when he was in high school, he started doing 1,000 calf raises a day. And he knew that it would help him jump. And, and now he has a 40-inch vertical and all this. So I said, okay, I'm doing 2,000 a day. I saw another player somewhere, because I'm doing all this research. I saw another player somewhere said he would do sprint at the track. You know, he would run. And, and that strengthened his hamstrings and, and his fast twitch muscles. So I said, okay, I'm running every day. And so, Adam, I spent the next six months. It was the most grueling, most difficult Six months that I had ever spent, tougher than any six months I spent conditioning in college. I spent the next six months making sure I did 2,000 calf raises every single day. When I say every single day, I mean literally every single day. There were maybe two days where I didn't do it. 
And the only reason I didn't do it was because I got to a point where I couldn't walk because my calves were nodding up so much. And so wow. I went, I went, I went outside. I have a, we have a big front yard at our home in Texas and the, the, the street is right in front. So it's a, it's a long, it's almost like a, a uh, hundred meters. I ran a hundred meter sprints every single day right in front of my, I did my air alert from the start of the program to the end. It's a 12 week program. I did it. So all of a sudden that summer I'm in AAU ball. I'm jumping literally eight inches higher than I was before. I went, I went from never dunking in a game before at this point to now I could do pretty much any dunk I wanted to do. And it and all how are your teammates reacting? How are the teammates reacting oh, at this they, point? Oh, they, they, they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe a lot of them had regret because like I told you, I ordered that air alert program for our, our team. I said, no, we're yes. all going to do it. Well, I, I'm the only one who did it from start to finish and didn't cheat it at all. You know what I'm saying? So, so once they saw, you know, all the work that I put in and then what happened, they of course said, well, you know, well, we should have stuck with it. We should, but it, it wasn't just the air alert that I was doing. It was the cab raises. It was the sprinting. I started squatting. I, I just attacked it in a way I've never attacked anything before. So here, here, here's how this comes into the whole shooting element. So Coach Tang had already known he like he had known me as a shooter. He like I said, we made deals like make seven threes in this quarter. I get you dinner. Right? Like that's he, that that was our history. So during this time, mm -hmm. because of how quickly my vertical grew, I started developing for the first time inconsistencies in my shot. Like I would I would dribble to a spot, and all of a sudden now I can beat people off the dribble. And so I would get to a spot and just rise up, and now I'm jumping eight inches higher on a jump shot. Whereas before I never did that. And so, and so I, I started holding the ball, you know, I, I would hold the shot until my release point started changing. And so it, it was, it was fine though, because I was always able to work myself out of it. So what I mean by that is I would go through like a week of being like in a, in a bit of a funk trying to find that release point again, and then I would get it back and then everything would be fine. I'll get it back. And, and so I went through that whole senior year, man, and um, played really well. Uh, and actually let me, let me back up. So that summer, was my last summer on the circuit with the Houston Hoops, and uh, I, I did a really good job. So now I had the athleticism. Um, I was able to knock down shots, although I wasn't shooting it as consistently as I was before. Um, I still was <laughs> – here's the funny part. The Hoops wanted me to be the point guard of that team because they wanted a guy that could manage game and space the floor when the ball got down to Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> and so, 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 you know, so, so that was my role. Um, but my, my recruiting started to skyrocket. And uh, as soon as I started school that fall in 2001, uh, you know, we just started having guys come down. They're watching our practices. Um, and then the scholarship offer started coming. The first school that extended the offer to me was Northwestern uh, out of the Big Ten. And the way that they caught wind of me, I was at a, a showcase camp uh, that summer and John Thompson III, who was at Princeton at the time before he went to Georgetown, saw me play mm -hmm. and immediately wanted me to uh, go to Princeton. And he called my coach and, uh, you know, my coach kind of told him, well, you know, Lamar is really good academically, but I think, you know, his, his dream is to kind of play at, at a bit of a higher level. And so, so John Thompson, he called uh, Northwestern because he figured Northwestern is the closest thing academically to Princeton. But they also mm -hmm. have the higher level of, of athletics. So he kind of put me on to them. 
And so now, you know, my recruiting just really picks up. And my senior year, we played a national schedule. So we're going to Florida playing. Um, we played um, – oh, what's why am, I, why am I drawing a blanket? Darren Wright. Um, no, what, why am I drawing a blanket? What's my man's name out of, out of Texas? The Colony. Played with Bracey Wright. Uh, oh, Bracey Wright and Darren 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 Williams. Williams. Yeah, Wright the combo. Darren Williams. Yes, yes. So we played them twice. Um, the, the first time we played them, we beat them. I had a moderate game, had about 13 points, uh, but I played well, I defended well. Um, and, 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 and actually because I knew we were playing the schedule, that's another reason why I wanted to get athletic as well, because I knew, look, I'm not, I'm not quick enough as a defender. I couldn't defend Adam from the time I was a kid to the time I was a junior in high school, I wasn't a good defender. So I knew like, Darren Williams is going to eat me alive if I'm not ready to play the game at a certain level. Um, and so the next time we play them, uh, he went off because he was mad they lost to us. He had 35, but I had 25. And there were coaches at that game. So now all of a sudden, Baylor's coming after me. Um, Houston, now Texas is re-interested. And, and they're saying, well, okay, he's good enough to play at our level, but we got TJ Ford at Texas. And there's not really too many guys in the country that's coming in playing over him. So, you know, if he comes here, most likely we might redshirt him. And so, and, and I didn't really want to go that route. Uh, but my recruitment picked up significantly and it led to uh, the very end in the spring. I waited till the spring. It came down to Baylor, um, Arkansas, and, and really Oregon State at the very end. Northwestern was still kind of just in there just because I established relationships with their coaching staff from the start, you know, they were the first school to offer me. So I never really wanted to write those guys off. And I really enjoyed my time there when I went to go visit the school. Um, but uh, it came down to, to, to three places where in Baylor, Arkansas and Oregon state, where I was going to start right away, wherever I went, um, I was going to be given a chance to play in a style and a system that I felt fit me the best. Uh, and, and so, um, ultimately I chose Oregon state, took a visit there. I really liked the people there. I felt like the people were set apart there. And, um, that's where I ended up going, man. Remarkable story for context. What is crazy about this is I want people to pause this podcast right now and go <laughs> check out YouTube, go on to YouTube and look up Lamar Heard dunk contest. Uh, I think they can find the one where you meet Terrence Ross, future you know NBA yeah. Slam dunk champ. I mean, uh, amongst yeah. a host of others, you are a a special dunker. I, I know you say you still have the hops. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily true. No one's really had proof <laughs> of it over the last five years or so. But 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 Lamar, before we jump into the into the Oregon State stuff, I'm I'm really curious about that that drive. Where do yeah. you think that came from? Um, I think it came from two places. One, my mom. My mom was a single mom. I grew up as a as a young kid watching her go to work all the time, not make excuses uh, about anything. Like, and at times when she could have, um, you know, she just did all the extra. She always got stuff done. There, there was just no complaints. Um, and and then also from my time at Heritage Christian, leading up to that junior year, just just the, the grind we were on. I mean, we were a, a tiny school, 1A. All we heard from people is we would never amount to anything. We, we couldn't beat the public schools. You know, you always just heard all that stuff. And, um, you know, Coach Tang was the kind of dude that, that just, look, 
put the shoes on, uh, you know, get dressed, go to work every day. And, and that's the approach I started taking the things. And I started to realize uh, in a way how easy it is to build whatever it is you want for yourself, whatever kind of life it is you're, you're seeking. You know, you just have to be accountable. You got to hold yourself accountable. You got to be disciplined. You got to be able to prioritize. But but it's all right there in front of you. And so uh, when I took on that task of of Operation Become Athletic, like I I, I don't want to say it was life or death, but it was dream or no dream. I mean, I right. really saw it as, look, it, it was like if if you don't do this, you're not going to college. That's how I saw it. You know, like if you don't become athletic in the next six months, you're not going to college. And so for me, um, not accomplishing it just wasn't an option. You know, what's fascinating about that is Malcolm Gladwell talks all the time. People talk about his 10,000 hours, you know, rule that that he's made famous and all. But one thing that he always stresses is the idea that he's not interested in the idea of natural talent, that people have natural talent. And we hear it all the time with basketball players like he can jump out of the gym like he's got a 40 inch vertical you know and so it's always assumed with guys like that that it's just they woke up one day and could jump yeah and I think that you prove a point that you know dispels a lot of the 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 rumor or the or the perception that the people are just born with natural ability like that has to be honed whether it's whether people realize they're in training or not but on the playgrounds, what have you. I mean, the guys you know yeah. that you're dunking against, like, it's they're doing calf raises too. You know, they're running yeah. sprints too. There's yeah. a reason that guys become great athletes. So I'm glad that you yeah. that you talk about that and, yeah. and share that story. No, Adam, you're 100% right. You know, I, I, I always um, cringe maybe putting a little bit much on it, but, like, I, I, I don't like it when I hear a guy say, Oh well, you've been given this God-given ability, so this you know because you you kind of you just overlook all the work that certain guys have put in. You know, kind of like you just said, you don't just wake up athletic. Now there are some guys who right. who do have that, who you know they don't work on their bodies, they don't do, and then they can just roll out of bed, drop thirty, and dunk on you and do all that. But for the most part, I mean, the guys who make it to the highest of levels put in a certain amount of work um, that, that others just weren't willing to. Yeah. You have the talent and then you put in the work also. And, and the idea too is, yeah. and Gladwell speaks a lot to this point is the idea that work ethic in itself is a talent. The fact that you had that drive is a talent. You end up going to Oregon yeah. state and obviously have a, a very successful run individually. Now team success, maybe you didn't find so much, but when you get to Oregon state, what were things like with the program at that time? Yeah, well, oh, man. Well, here's the thing, because I, I don't personally feel like I had a, a great individual run. I feel like it could have been. Um, and, and, and at times it was. It was pretty good. But overall, it wasn't. And I'll get into uh, reasons why that wasn't the case. But when I first got there, uh, it was 2002. The program had not had a winning season since 1990. So, yeah, they hadn't been to the tournament, but they also hadn't even just had a winning season since 1990. So the expectation level was not very high. Uh, the thing that, that sold me on going to Oregon State, or one of the things, was uh, the coach. Jay John had just left Arizona, and this is when Arizona was in their heyday with Lute Olsen, 
you know, uh, consistently a top five team or so in the country. Um, some of the best athletes there were around. I think they had just got done with, with uh, Bibby and, and Gilbert Arenas and some of those guys. So, so Arizona was known as guard you, point guard you. Like if you're a point guard, you go to Arizona. So here's yeah. this coach coming from Arizona and now going to Oregon State and offering me a scholarship. So to me, it's like, okay, look, this dude just came from point guard you. I want to be one of the best point guards there is. Uh, you know, I need to go ahead and do this. And so that was one of the things that sold me. Um, and a coach coming in with a from a winning tradition, coming from Arizona, going to a program that hasn't won a year. So, you know, with all that stuff, I felt like, okay, this is going to be the kind of place for me because it reminds me a lot of Heritage Christian. When I first got there, the program was nothing. The program was irrelevant. And at the time, Oregon State was somewhat irrelevant in the Pac-10. And I wanted to mm -hmm. be part of the building process. And, 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 and I wasn't afraid of the building process. Like, you'll, you'll, you'll get guys that will say, oh, I want to go help this school or that school become relevant again or get back to winning championships or whatever. But then, like, when you start the work and you realize how tough it might be, guys, guys will wilt. Or they'll run right. away from it. They transfer. They do whatever. Like for me, I wasn't afraid of it at all. And I remember, I remember the day I chose my jersey number. When my coach asked me what number did I want, I said I want a number one. And he said, Well, if you get number one, you do understand a lot of pressure kind of comes with that number. And I said, Yeah, I, I, I really don't care though. You know, I, I, I know what I'm getting myself into. And so I start off that freshman year, Adam. Um, had some some good games. Got better as the year went on. Um, took some challenges personally with some other point guards in the league. Luke, Luke Ridenauer was in the league that year. Um, he won the conference player of the year that season. And so, you know, games when I played him, I tried to play my best ball. Um, and, and I played pretty good games against him. Um, same thing with Jason Gardner down at Arizona. Um, I, I wanted to make it a point to make a statement in the game. And we went and played at Tucson. And I had a series where I scored three times in a row. Um, and remember Lute Olsen had some words for Jason Gardner and this and that. And after the <laughs> game, he came to me and said, he came to me and said, I really like your game. And, and look, Hey, all I scored in the game was like eight or 10 points. But, but, but just during that little series, it was enough to make Lute Olsen give me my props after the game. And so, so, and, and you got to remember, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of coming from a, a small town atmosphere i hadn't been on these kind of stages before you know the high school game back then wasn't like it is now where, where kids now are so um comfortable in those situations of playing in front of fifteen thousand people or whatever the case is and you know so for me it was new so it was kind of just a cool thing and i'm just taking it all in and so by the end of the year um you know i was being talked about for the all uh pack 10 freshman team and, um, you know, going into the next season, I'm on the posters at our school. And, and so now I'm really, you know, challenging myself internally to, to really step it up another notch and, and become a legitimate point guard, not only in the conference, but across, uh, across, the, across the country. That was my goal. Uh, but this is the year, man, where, where mentally I really started to struggle. And so I take you back again, as we talked about, when I was in high school, I was a shooter. Like, that's what I was known as. As soon as I became the athlete, my shooting became inconsistent. And so I, I, I never shot the ball at the same level consistently um, that I did from the time I was in 11th grade and before. But although I didn't do it consistently, 
I could tap into it from time to time. And then once I tapped into it, I could get it going for an extended period of time. Um, and so uh, at Oregon State, my coaches never saw the 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 years I had, you know what I'm saying, from my junior year before. Mm-hmm. And so the mm-hmm. the only the only Lamar the only Lamar they knew was this athletic dude that that might dunk on you that could defend was a lockdown defender but they never knew the shooting Lamar so there would be times where I would make it a point to go I'm like I'm gonna go into practice and I'm just shooting jump shots and I'm just gonna make shots and 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 show the coaches make sure they know I can shoot and so there's times where I would go and do that and. I didn't get the, the the feedback that I was expecting to get. I'm gonna give you an example, and I and I kind of started touching on this with you uh, when I was talking mm-hmm. to you last week. But I'm gonna get I'm gonna get, and I'm not gonna mention any names because I'm not in this to throw anybody under the bus. Um, the, here's the disclaimer I'll put on this before I get into it. I've always said that there's times after I graduated where I felt like you know what my, my coaches maybe weren't for me, but on the flip side, I probably wasn't for them. There's probably there's probably right. another guard they felt like they could have won more with. So look, it works both ways. I, I get it. Um, but let me give you let me give you an example of some of the stuff that just started throwing me off. So going into my sophomore year, as I told you, I wanted to become really relevant across the conference, uh, potentially across the country. I wanted to make that jump. And so I said, you know what? I'm I'm about to make an effort. The first practices we have. Like, I'm about to bust everybody's behind. I don't care who it is. I'm going to make sure we're winning. I'm going to make sure I'm scoring a certain amount. Like, I'm going to make it clear. And so in the preseason, you practice a few days, and then, like, you have a big scrimmage day, like on football game days. You open up the, the, the arena to the crowd, so to the football crowd. They'll come in early, watch the basketball team scrimmage. Then they go and watch the football game. So – I, I said, you know what, when we have the first one of those, I'm going to go off. I'm going to go to work. So here we are in the fall of my sophomore year. We're having our first public scrimmage. I have like 25 in the scrimmage. Now, look, the year coming off the year before, my, my career high was like 13 points. So nobody had never really seen me publicly score like 25 points or, or you know, scoring bunches. And so I, I scored like 25. I'm hitting threes. I'm I'm beating people off the drill. I'm doing everything. I'm doing, and so I'm expecting, expecting Adam. All right, when 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 I talk to coach, because we usually we catch up, we catch up after the games, and I, I mean after the practices. I'm like, all right, when when the coaches talk to me, they gonna have some good stuff to say. They gonna say, all right, that's what we want to see. That's you know, hey, hey, maybe we'll we'll draw up some plays for you to on a flare screen, or, you know, something. I don't know what it's yep. gonna be, but something along those lines, Adam. My coach, and again, I'm not going to tell you which coach it was. We had four coaches, one head, three assistants. I'm just going to leave it general. My coach says to me, that was a, a good performance, and I think by the time you become a senior, you'll be able to shoot free throws and three-pointers. <laughs> and so, so I, Adam, I'm, even as I repeat it to you, I'm kind of reconfused. You know, like I kind of just took myself right back to that moment and I'm looking and I have I have a teammate that's standing pretty close to me and he's hearing the whole conversation and he kind of looks at me a little bit we don't address it there we walk down to the to the locker room a few minutes after and when we get there he says hey what did what did he say to you and I said man I think he said that I'm not going to be able to shoot free throws and threes 
until I become a senior. And I was like, I was like, I don't know if he's telling me that's when I have permission to, or that's when I have ability. And so look, so look, 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 it totally messed with my mind. And so bad to the point where the next day I had to go into this particular coach's office and just kind of revisit the conversation. And, you know, I say, hey, uh, you know, I know after the scrimmage yesterday, you know, I tried to do everything that I could. Um, and, and you mentioned, you know, the free throws and the three-pointer thing, and I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what you were saying. And and he reiterates, I think by the time you are a senior, you will be able to shoot free throws and threes. And I said, well, the, like, do the ones that I made yesterday, do those count? Or, did like, am I, what am I missing here? And he says, well, you're getting used to it. You're just now starting to learn how to do it. And so, and so I said, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. I, like, as a high school player, there was a point in time where this is all I did. See, what happened is I became athletic, and I started developing inconsistencies. And, Adam, I kid you not, as I'm telling him this story, you can see his face almost saying, oh, you poor soul. You're so confused. You don't even, you don't, you don't know how things work. Like you don't understand. It just takes time to develop these games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you used to be a shooter. I, uh, I'm sure you weren't athletic. And, and so I can tell that's the response I'm getting. And so it bothered me. So like, I remember I left the gym that day. I called Coach Tang. I'm like, Coach Tang, I need you to send me game tapes of games when I'm making five or seven. Send me the tapes. And so I tell him exactly what happened. And, like, he was almost outraged because he's like, how do they – like, why don't they believe you? And, and, and I told him, I said, look, I understand because for some people you can't believe what you haven't seen. And I said, but, but that, that, that doesn't make sense to me in a way because, like, I just showed you. And, and, and that scrimmage is one example I gave. There were other times where I showed what I could do. And mm-hmm. so Coach Tank, Coach Tank FedExed me some Heritage Christian game tapes. Games where we're we're in that tournament in Florida. I'm knocking down six threes. I'm doing it like can't beat anybody off the dribble. There's not one dunk in any of these any of these tapes. It's all like jump shots and threes. I sit down in the office with with the coach, and we we put the tape. It's a it's a, a VHS, so it wasn't even like a DVD. So it's back in the day, the VHS. We put the tape in the TV. We sit there and we go through the game and watch the game, and and so I'm just waiting for feedback to to you know to to either confirm like okay you were right you were after the game is over like we go through the whole game after the game is over he says okay that was that was good I, I that's exactly what I envisioned you getting to when you are a senior and and so I'm like all right you know what I'm like all right you know what. Forget it. I give up. And so, Adam, I spent the next the, the rest of that year, like mentally, I was done I, because I had never I had never before heard a coach say that to me. Um, like I told you, I played with one of the best AAU teams in the country. They wanted me on a team to be a, a floor spacer for Kendrick Perkins. And now I'm in a situation where a coach is telling me I'm two years away from being able to shoot the ball. <laughs> and so my mind was just all messed up, man. And and look, look, I take and, and I tell my coaches, like when I see them today, look, dude, I'm totally honest. I tell them, look, I was not mentally strong enough to deal with whatever was thrown at me. Whether it was right or wrong, I was not mentally strong enough to deal with those messages. So all of a sudden, you started seeing all of my numbers 
steadily declined. Like my freshman year, I shot right under 70% from the free throw line. This the, the sophomore year, when all this stuff like really started happening, now all of a sudden I'm shooting like 50% from the line. Adam, my junior year, I shot, I spent time around 40% from the free throw line. Every year it kept getting worse because the same thing would happen. So so after that sophomore year, when I thought like, oh my goodness, dude, like I am. Now look, I had some good games in other ways. Like I had multiple 10 assist games. I, I, I had uh, games where, you know, I, I almost, I actually almost had a triple double. We were playing Oregon at home. I ended up with 13, 10 and seven. And had anybody in the gym told me, you are three rebounds away from a triple double, then I would have started stealing rebounds. But nobody ever said anything. So I just I just let I let the game come and go. We won the game. And so so the the, the season wasn't a, a, a complete throwaway. Um there were some good things that happened, but my numbers are steadily declining. And so then we got to that junior year where yeah, I had thirty eight percent from my, it got to the point, Adam, where I didn't even want to attack because I didn't want to get fouled. Because I didn't want to go to the free mm-hmm. throw line. And so, so there were certain games where you look at the field goal attempt at the end of the game, you see Lamar Hurd, one attempt. Lamar Hurd, zero attempts. And it would go on. And so, like, I, I, I really hit rock bottom. And I got to a point where um, I felt like, man, the only way I can, I can kind of get out of this is, is if I look into transferring. Because the, the, it, it's pretty clear to me kind of what these people think of me. And I just I did not know any other way to get out of this uh, because I spent that junior year when I shot 38 percent from the line. I did the same thing going into the season, dominated mm-hmm. like I did all the things coaches say, come to practice early, stay late, put in extra work, dominate every day, uh, dominate your position. Like I did that all the time. And, and a lot of that is the reason why, even though I wasn't putting up certain numbers, I was still playing 30 minutes a game. Because uh, my my value uh, was still there, and they could see that, but I guess the potential aspect is is, is what maybe wasn't seen the same way. And so here I go, man. I get into uh, the summer after my junior year. I'm I'm strongly contemplating transferring, and it was my strength and conditioning coach who who really talked me into staying. He and I had a really good relationship, and he just he kind of phrased it to me like this. He said, "Look, man, uh, you kind of have a history." of building things, you know, look what you did in high school. You know, you never ran away from the challenge. You figured it out, you know, no matter what was happening, you found a way to figure it out. And so um, I said, you know what, you know, you're right. And and this is kind of what I want to do this year. So I went into my senior year and kind of got started getting some things working again. All of a sudden the free throw percentage goes back up above 70%. And the funny thing to me, Adam, and and I laugh when I hear this all the time, you'll hear broadcasters, just say like say a kid's shooting percentage or free throw percentage goes up, you know they'll say, oh well, it was all the hard work he put in over the summer, and like you know so people will say that about me, and 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 I and I I actually worked less on free throws between my junior and senior year than I did any year before that because it had nothing to do with the physical aspect of it. It was it was 100% mental, and so mentally, man, I just got to a point where I was like, you know what, man, I'm just gonna go out here, I'm gonna play. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And that was new for me because I was a kid that always wanted to, to do things the right way. I always make coach happy and make the crowd happy and all that. Um, started playing some really good basketball. Uh, midway through non-conference season, my coach takes me out of the starting lineup. Prior to this, my freshman, sophomore, and junior year, I started every single game except maybe two. And the two that I didn't start was because I had back spasms and I didn't play in one of them. 
And so now I'm 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 kind of back to the uptick portion of my career. I'm playing well. I get taken out of the starting lineup. All of a sudden, it starts going to my head. I start, you know, so I, I start the battles. You know, all right, man, here's what's happening. Um, uh, the year's gonna go down, and you know all this other, stuff, you know, just a bunch of negativity. And so I fight that mm-hmm. off. You know, I try to stay positive. I I stay involved in games. We start Pac-10 conference play. We start on the road uh, at Oregon. I'm coming off the bench. I'm not happy about it because again, I'm playing some of my better basketball. Uh, you know, trying to improve and all that stuff. And and I want to win that year. We we went to the NIT the year before, and this is our year to mm-hmm. kind of make it to the NCAA tournament. And so I want to I want to be a part of making that happen. We're at Oregon. Uh, we're losing down the stretch. My coach decides to go with me uh, in the second half. Starts me in the second half instead of our other point guard. Basically, let lets me play the rest of the half. And it's a game we lose down the stretch. But I played I played really well in that game. Uh, we then go to Stanford. Similar deal. I come off the bench. Um, the point guard that my coach went with to start, he takes him out in the second half, goes with me in the second half. We play really well down the stretch. We, again, lose a, a close game. On the bus ride from Stanford, my coach comes and sits by me. He's never done this before. In my four years there, never done this before. He comes and sits by me, and, and, and we're talking about the game. We're talking about the last few weeks. He says, you know what? I made a mistake. I said, I've never taken you out of the starting lineup. You're starting every game for the rest of the season. We're going to ride and die with you. And it was the biggest relief that I that I had experienced during my time there. It, it was one of the first times where I felt like, okay, Coach and I, are we're really, really in sync. I go to Cal. I start that game. We win the game. It was our first game winning on the road in like two years. Um, because the year before when we went to the NIT, we, we basically won all, all of our home games, but lost everything on the road. So here we are. We win at Cal, which was a, a pretty big deal. Cal was a – I think they were a tournament team that year with Leon Poe, Ayinda, Ubaka. They had a good team. We go from that game, Adam, back to Gill Coliseum. We have Arizona at home. Arizona's ranked top 25 in the country, uh, led by Hassan Adams that year and Chris Rogers. Um, Mustafa Shakur, I forget who else they had on that roster. But I start the game, play well, we win the game. Now we're two and two in conference play. Now we got Arizona State coming up. If we win this game at three and two, we're like in a three-way tie for first or second place. I can't remember, but it, it was it was a, a place where we had never been uh, as a program in a long time after the first three or four weeks of the season. And so people are kind of excited. We're getting really good crowds at Gill Coliseum. Um, I start the game. We're winning, uh, playing well. We're in the first half. I start feeling a tightness in my growing area. I never, I never torn anything, uh, popped anything, n- none of that. Like I said, the only game I missed was because of a backstop. So I'm not sure what the 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 tightness is I'm feeling. Um, it, it, it decreases as the game goes on. So I call for a sub. My coach sends a sub to the table. And so what I'm trying to do is just control my movement as I'm playing until the, the whistle blows and I can get a sub. I mm-hmm. end up – I still don't know how this happens. I end up with the ball in my hands. Shot clock is winding down. I'm at the top of the key. And so I have to make a play. Up until that time, I made sure the ball was not in my hands. I just passed, got out of the way. Uh, but it's in my hands now, top of the key. Nine seconds, got to make a play. I put the ball in my left hand. I give a little hesitation. I accelerate past the defender. As soon as that that acceleration happened, I heard a snap 
and and then oh. I jumped. And and on the jump, I heard like two more snaps. As I'm falling down towards the floor, I pass the ball to the corner to my teammate Chris Stevens, who makes the three. All right. So so I went out on a three point shot. I went out on an assist. But I fall to the floor and that was the last minute I played in college basketball. And I was out for the game. The team then went on to lose fourteen of the next sixteen games, I believe is what it was. And so we all of a sudden went from being a, a potential NCAA participant, um, for sure, another glue into the NIT. We went from being that to, to being nothing. And uh, the program started to take a lot of steps backwards. Um, a year later, they went 0-18 in conference play. And uh, then there was a coaching change. Uh, but that was my career. And um, as you know, Oregon State just made it to the NCAA tournament this past season. And while I'm I'm super happy for those guys there, and I'm I'm just as happy for the kids that are going to come um, in the next few years because I believe Wayne Tinkle is a fabulous coach. I think that administration there is top notch. Program is in a really good place. While I'm happy for them, I feel really badly for a lot of guys that played on my team, played on a few teams after that, played on a few teams before that, because there, there's been some good players and some good talent in the program. Uh, that will never get an opportunity again to to enjoy the type of college experience that guys at the school now are enjoying. And it's one of those things that just sucks because it it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. And um, it's it's, it's one of those, it's just one of those hard aspects of of college basketball, of of sports in general. Um, You know, um, it comes to an end at a certain point. And uh, while I didn't have the type of career overall that I would have liked to have, man, I, I there's no way that I'm the person I am mentally today without the stuff that I went through while I was there. Like, there's no way I'm working on TV, uh, you know, sitting next to a guy like Kevin O'Neill who will throw whatever at you and and um, <laughs> able to able to not worry about whatever my response is, if I make a mistake, if I what the crowd is saying, what, what, you know, what kind of hateful tweets I get, you know, there, there's no way I deal with all that um, in a way that I'm able to now, if I don't go through some of the things I went through in college. So overall, man, thankful for the experience, but it was, it was quite a ride. What do you think with all of that? And you said it's helped you now, but what was the, the greatest lesson that you learned during your time in college? Uh, I, I think it's just uh, that, you know, you, you got to have a belief in yourself that overrides anything anybody can put into you, anything anybody can put into your thoughts, um, anything anybody can say to you. Like you, you have to know whatever the truth is. So when, when I when I went to Oregon State, like the truth of the matter was, no, I can shoot the ball. I just went through this this situation last year where I became this this super athlete. I developed inconsistencies, but at the end of the day, I can shoot the ball. And, and had I had I always abided by and truly trusted in that truth, then I would not have allowed maybe things that were said to me to uh, to impact me the way that they were, the way that they did. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm at a point in my life, and I've been here for a, a while now, where um, there, there's really really nothing anybody can say to make me believe differently than what I know. 
And uh, that wasn't the case then. And, and again, it, it's why I take full responsibility. You know, when, when kids nowadays, Adam, when I hear kids, whether it's in college or high school, you know, I work with kids at the AAU level. Whenever I hear them say, mm-hmm. oh, man, coach, coach killing my game or or man, uh, it's coach's fault. Why? Why? I'm not shooting that shot or whatever. I always tell them the first thing I ask them is, are you on the court? And more times than not, they are. They're getting minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, they're on the floor. The ball, the ball hits their hands. So now it comes down to, are you confident enough to take certain shots? Are you skilled enough to get to certain shots? You know what I mean? Like, are, are you are you good enough to to make a one on one move and create space? Are you are you comfortable enough that if you miss a shot one possession, you come down the next, you shoot the same shot? And and really, that's what it comes down to. I was a kid. I played. I played 30 minutes a game for the most part throughout my career, and so although there wasn't uh, that level of comfort, maybe that I would have liked to feel from my coaching staff that I always saw from coaches before that, I was on the court. I had the ball, so I, I take responsibility for it, and um, that's just another lesson. Just just the level of accountability that 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 we all have to have, and and you know I, I have teammates Adam to this day, man that that are still blaming my coaching staff for poor performances back during those seasons. I mean, to this day, they, they, they haven't gotten over it. And I've seen those guys be held back in a lot of ways in other areas of their lives because of that, 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 that thing, not just being able to let go. So, um, yeah, just learn, man, to, to, to trust in what I know to be the truth. Well, I, I love that lesson. And I, I want to continue on with this, this journey of yours. So then you go, after school is up, you go to um, to play ball professionally in Germany, yeah. right? And so yep. you go to Germany. Right. But then but what's crazy is, Lamar, you're a guy with NBA-type athletic, athletic ability, NBA body. Um, you had been around uh, a core in Houston, which has all the talent in the world. You start seeing these guys that you knew, you know, like you talk yeah. about TJ Ford, a Houston kid, Daniel Ewing. You know, yep. these other guys have a, a chance Mecca at, at making the league. Lucas. A Mecca Okafor, John Lucas. Yes, and the list goes on and on. And so you're seeing all these guys around you. And most guys, I think, playing D1 college ball, then going on playing professionally in Europe, the dream is I'm going to go to the NBA. You were a guy that potentially physical skill set in terms of size, you could have been yep. at some point in the future, regardless of what happened in college, you could have been a guy that could have been an NBA player. So now you're in Germany making money professionally. Tell me what happens next. What happened is I went to Germany, uh, played in the, the first league there, which is a really good league for people who don't know. It's a really, really good league. You, you got former uh, NBA guys over there. Um, you got guys that were all ACC, all Big 12, you know, all that. So it was a really good league. And I had a good season. I kind of picked up where I left off before I got hurt at Oregon State where, you know, I'm kind of playing a little more free basketball, more confident basketball, shooting shots, using my athleticism. Um, And after the season, the team wanted to bring me back. And I had other teams that also wanted to bring me in. But I was talking with my agent and we kind of just felt like my game suited the American game uh, a little bit more. You know, the ultimate goal was get to the NBA. Now it's just what's going to be the path. And the question was, do, do I go back to Europe? Or do I try to go the D-League route? And although the money isn't nearly as good, 
you're on U.S. soil and, um, you know, a little bit better accessibility uh, to, to NBA teams. And so I'm kind of debating between the two what I'm going to do. And the fall rolls around, and we're in 2007 here at the time. And uh, I go to this gym in Beaverton, Oregon, and I'm trying to uh, just find a way to to kill some time, uh, maybe do a little bit of work. You know, so maybe it's just working out kids or something. I don't know. But be in a gym, like have access to a gym all the time. And so um, I go to this gym in Beaverton, Oregon. It's called The Hoop. And the guy who runs it tells me, you can come in, you can coach kids. And, you know, whenever you got to leave, you can leave. And I, and I said, listen, you need to understand what I'm dealing with here. I could get a call on Tuesday evening at, at 6 o'clock that says, we got a plane flight for you at 10. Can you be on it? And I got to be able to go make that flight. So if I'm in a game coaching some kids or training, some, I got to be able to leave. And they said, that's fine. We'll set you up. We'll give you an assistant coach or whatever you need, but it'll be all good. And so I'm like, cool. So I go into this gym, you know, you know, just casually expecting to go, you know, meet some kids and, you know, help them get a little bit better in basketball. And I have my first basketball practice with these kids. And it was the first time ever. Like I had worked with kids before this, like at Oregon State. Um, you know, our coach would have camps in the summer and players would work the camps. And, you know, I'd done stuff in boys and girls clubs and I'd done stuff all over the place. But this was the first time where I'm coaching a group of kids and I felt like I have to be to them what my coach was to me, to what my coach in high school and when I was a kid was to me, which was somebody that became my basketball figure, my basketball at a time that was pivotal in my life when I was a kid. And as crazy as it sounds, I mean, within 24, 48 hours, like I had already made up in my mind, I'm not playing anymore. I'm going to start coaching kids. And it was the, it was the weirdest thing, but I felt so comfortable in making that decision. And uh, I remember going and telling certain family members, and uh, they, they, they thought like I was crazy. They, you know, some of them really did, like they knew me to be a really stable dude and, you know, I always have my head on my shoulders, but I, like, I really think my mom was, was, was legitimately worried about me, you know, thinking maybe something else is going on. And I had so many conversations with people where I told them like, listen, I know how crazy this sounds and I don't know why or what it is, but I just really feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I, and like, I feel good about it. It's not like I feel like I'm missing out. And so I went through that whole year, man, I, I became the director of basketball at that facility. Um, and and then would move on to start my first organization, which was never a goal in mind. Like I never did this with the mindset of starting a business or any of that. Like I, I did it to be for them what my coach was for me, which was somebody that was just always there to hang out with you and, and teach you and be just being an influence for you. And uh, this is where things got interesting, Adam, uh, you know, when you bring up the NBA potential and all that in 2008, at the end of the year, I started playing, oh, I'm sorry, in the middle of the year, in the summer, I started playing on a, a team um, called the Portland Waves. It was an IBL team, uh, International mm -hmm. Basketball League. It was a league up and down the West Coast. And a guy, the guy who started it actually lives here in the Portland Beaverton area. And so um, <clears throat> I started playing and we had a really good team. Like the, the league, I think it still exists today. I'm not sure. But if it does, it's a really watered down version. Back then, like in 08, 09, 2010, there were some really, really good players because guys would come on from overseas and they would just play in it. And, and so um, I'm playing in it 
And like, as weird as this sounds, like this is this is the least amount of time I had been spending practicing. I wasn't working on my game. I wasn't getting shots up. Like I'd been coaching kids for the for the previous seven eight months. Um, we start this league, and I'm I'm killing. Like I I'm <laughs> like I I'm not like really like like it, it was at a point where I was a little bit surprised because I because I was always so accustomed to being the guy who all right, if I don't get in the gym and work on my ball handling, uh, you know, for two or three days, then I, I start feeling a little shaky with the ball, you know? So I, like, sloppy, I was that guy. Yeah. There was always this, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, there was always this comfort level. And so, like, I'm I'm playing well, and it gets to the point where I fast forward you to the end of the season. We're at the, the uh, end of the year tournament to to lead. It's like a playoff uh, situation where you're playing a tournament and the, the, the two winners, there's two sides on the tournament the two winners will meet for a championship series in LA. And um, my team is, we, we went our side, uh, the team from LA, which had Byron Russell, Derek Martin from UCLA, uh, Lamont Murray was playing Toby Bailey. They won their side. And so we ended up meeting up with them in LA at the game. There was a, a guy from the D league. His name is Brian Gates. He used to coach the Idaho Stampede. I believe it's Brian. Brian Gates, he coached the Idaho Stampede. He came to my IBL coach, and he said, who is that kid? Who's, who, who's that player? And he, he pointed at me. And so the guy says, Lamar Hurry, played at Oregon State. And so Brian says, okay, yeah, I, I kind of remember the name but wasn't sure. And he said, I never saw him do that at Oregon State. And so the IBL coach said, well, yeah, you know, he's just kind of a different player. Uh, you know, we just kind of just cut him loose and let him play. And Brian tells him, he's like, he just had 30 in the game. Like his career high at Oregon State was like 13 points. He just had 30, and <laughs> the guy tells him like, "Hey, man, he's 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 different now." Brian says, "I want him to come play for our team at the Stampede." And the reason why I want to make sure to put Brian Gates' name out there again, I, I be, I'm about 95 percent sure it's Brian, but coach of the Stampede, last name Gates, so that so that anybody Adam who who doubts this story at all, you can go check with him. <laughs> all right, so because. Because I'm telling, I'm telling the, the stuff I'm about to tell you, it's it's unbelievable in a sense. If if you saw me play certain times at Oregon State, if you saw the the, the years where I was struggling, um, so Brian says I want this guy to come play on our team, Idaho Stampede, and he said we're going to have a tryout at the Portland Trailblazers practice facility because they're a feeder for Portland, and we want Lamar to come. And so my IBL coach comes and tells me this this whole thing, and I and I I told him I said, look, man, I. I made a decision a few months ago that I'm, I'm here, I'm coaching the kids, and that's what I'm going to do. And so, um, you know, we kind of just left the conversation alone with that. A few months goes by, my IBL coach calls me. He said, hey, man, um, you sitting down? I said, yeah, what is it? And he's like a dramatic guy. I said, what is it? Just tell me what it is. He said, remember Brian Gates, the guy from the Stampede? And I said, yeah. He said, well, he really, really likes you, like a lot. And I said, well, I know. I, we talked about it. And um, but I, I really don't feel like I should be, you know, going on that whole path again. He said, Brian just got an assistant job with the Sacramento Kings, and he wants you to come do a workout. And so at this point, it's it's really actually, you know, from from today till whenever I started coaching kids, like this day that I got this phone call was maybe the toughest day I've ever had uh, when it came to making a decision. And so because here I was, like, I was at peace with not chasing the NBA dream anymore. 
but but mm-hmm. I understand like you know that 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 decision impacts other people. You know, it, it impacts my family in a way. A lot of guys, you you know this, they 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 chase the NBA because it'll help their families. You know, my family isn't one that that has a whole bunch of money. So like I knew I could help their lives. And, and so th- there's all these pieces that come into play. And I had to sit there and ask myself, um, do I like do I go do this? Um and, and I contemplated it. I talked it over with my coach. I told Coach Tang about it. And, you know, he told me, you know, you need to make the decision that you feel is right. And the the it's easy to say, well, just go do the workout and see what happens. But the thing is, like I'm not the kind of dude that would just go do the work like if I if I say yes, I'm gonna go do it, like I'm gonna finish off the process. So I'm gonna go do the workout. No matter how the workout goes, I'm gonna figure out what do I have to do next because now I'm trying to go back to the league. And um I just started over for a few days and I ended up I I asked uh my IBL coach for Brian's contact information because I wanted to be the one to tell Brian thank you for the offer and thank you for the appreciation of my game. But um I'm not gonna come out you know, I'm not gonna be the one to come out for any workouts. And so I told him that and and uh that was it. That was actually the last time I talked to him, man. And so um it led me ultimately to where I am now. In two thousand twelve I started the other side of basketball. Um, and the, the main reason I did is because I, I want to give kids a chance to have the same kind of experience that I had growing up through the game where I had a lot of fun playing the game of basketball, but, but really the main thing I got out of it was, uh, you know, how to be a, a solid man. And, uh, that's what my coach did for me. He made it really fun. They were the most influential years of my life. And so I've always said, um, I could never imagine what I would have done or how I would have felt if my coach who was given tons of opportunities while I was uh, in school with him, I couldn't imagine how I would have felt had he had left, you know, I I would have, I would have kind of felt by myself in a way. And I really don't know how it would have ended up for me. And so um, I would never want to do that to any of our kids who had that connection with me. I do understand that at some point um, I'm probably going to have to phase out of the organization, just, you know, you get old and, um, you know, some of the fun games you play with the kids, you can't play as much anymore. You can't run up and down the court and dunk and do all that stuff that, that I, that I do with them. Um, but my hope is to build the organization into something that outlasts me. So no matter whether I'm there or not, it still runs off of its principles and, um, you know, can still be a special thing. Well, I'll tell you, Lamar, I hear your whole story and, it's really incredible to me. Your work with the other side of basketball has really been remarkable, but what's wild to me is just how Jerome Tang was such an influence to you at the beginning and just the way you describe him and describe the program and, and just from the beginning when there was a gym available to you and how magical that felt. And it's weird because as you talk about it and the enthusiasm you have towards it, you know, brings me back to my youth and, and what that felt like when there was you know, influencers in the game of basketball that yeah. you knew the guys that I remember from, from summer camp and showcases and, um, you know, just coaches that I happened to meet, like that would have this, this, I don't know, this force over me that just, you know, which enabled me to want to be like them. And, and, and you're following yeah. in, in, in Jerome Tang, who now assistant coach at Baylor, um, you know, you followed in his footsteps. And listen, I'm sure he's very proud of you right now, um, you know, the man you've become. And, and and listen, you talk about the influence you've had, not just with the kids, but now, you know, 
among the Pac-12. Um, you were part of the search committee for for Wayne Tinkle coming in. So now, ironically, you were there when things were really going bad with the Oregon State program. And then here was this guy who came out of that, you know, you rose from yeah. uh, from the ashes and yeah. uh, and you helped turn, turn the program around, being influential, helping them get get Wayne Tinkle. And um, I just I really appreciate you you sharing your whole journey. And it's just insane to me that when you hear it from beginning to end, someone passing up the opportunity to go try out for an NBA team seems wild and crazy. But when you hear where you started and where you ended up, it doesn't seem that that crazy at all. So. So thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Again, thank you for for having me. Um, I, I love the Great Point podcast, and so um, I'm just I'm just trying to maintain the standard that you and the previous guests have already established. I appreciate that. And let me tell you, uh, next time you come on, I promise the people. So we got to have you on again. With there's still a lot more to talk about, and and I'll I'll leave this teaser for them that. You know, again, that you were very close to becoming the first Black Bachelor, <laughs> and and they can look that story up on YouTube as well when they're checking out the uh, the dunk videos. But I appreciate all your time. People can find out more about the other side of basketball by checking out the website www.theothersideofbasketball.org. And Lamar, they can find you on Twitter at l underscore herd. Uh, Lamar Herd, really, really appreciate your time on on the Great Point Podcast. Thank you so much. No problem, man. Thanks again for having me. So loved having Lamar Hurd on the Great Point Podcast. Really incredible to hear his journey from start. And I don't even want to say finish because that guy has so much more in store. He's done so much for so many kids with the other side of basketball. And really check him out if you get the chance on Pac-12 Network. Lamar Hurd is really a special broadcaster and a special guy. So my thanks to Lamar and Obviously, my thanks to you for listening. Always appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. It means a lot to me. And uh, lastly, I don't mention it enough, but uh, my guy, Yao G's, who does the intro music. He's the best. Check out Yao G's, his music on iTunes. You're going to love his stuff. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.